to Investable Universe, where we seek to demystify the world of real assets investing. What do we mean by real assets? Well, it's real estate, it's infrastructure, it's commodities and their associated stocks. If you can touch it and you can invest in it, it's a physical asset, and that's what we'll be looking at in this series. These assets have historically outperformed in late cycle environments, they've defended better in recessions, and with all the talk of slower economic growth and uncertainty around global trade and geopolitical issues, we say it's time to take a closer look at real assets. This week, we'll be talking about a new way to look at the commodities market, a multi-trillion dollar global behemoth that covers oil, gas, minerals, agriculture products, inputs of almost every type. If you're familiar with the way commodities trade, you'll know that there's a spot market that reflects the current price of a commodity like WTI or Brent crude or Henry Hub natural gas. And there's a futures market where the expected future prices of these commodities trade according, let's say, to the date of delivery. But my guest this episode is proposing a different way to value and trade extracted commodities, and that's by their source data, how and how sustainable sustainably, they were produced at the source. In a world where resources may be scarce, but data is certainly not, now may be the time to look at market pricing through the lens of intelligent commodities. The CEO of commodity market technology firm Expansive CBL Holding Group, also known as Exchange, based in San Francisco, Joe Madden is my guest on Investable Universe this week. Joe, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. First of all, a very basic question. What makes an intelligent commodity? So information makes an intelligent commodity. So if we think about commodities as they are today, um, uh, they're generally analog and highly, highly standardized. So Mm -hmm. very little information is known about the underlying physical attributes of the commodity at the point of production today. So information um, uh, is really what we mean when... Uh, when we say intelligent commodities. You talk about information making an intelligent commodity, but what kind of information is not incorporated or reflected in the price of a commodity today, and why not? So if we think about natural gas, natural gas um, could be produced at a well that is leaking Uh, massive amounts of methane, which is a very high potency greenhouse gas. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be from a well that has a great deal of water intensity. Mm -hmm. It could be from a well that's right next to a schoolyard. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Or it could be um, produced at a well that is um, managed extremely well Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, with no methane loss. uh, very um, uh, low water intensity mm-hmm. um, and managed on on land um, with almost no uh, impact to the land and and no uh, proximity to humans. So none of that information is captured in natural gas. Today. So you talked about so just in exp- in setting up that scenario, you've talked about methane content, you've talked about water, you've talked about proximity to a school, and then uh, management of the source company. And so what it sounds like you're, pro- you're that you're proposing is that there's a way that you can capture all of those informational attributes in a contract. Is that right? Yes. 
And the same is true for palm oil and deforestation mm-hmm. or, um, or cotton mm-hmm. and uh, water intensity or um, um, effectively anything that the market um, on the downstream would like to ne- know about what uh, happens upstream. So that includes um, the consumers uh, of the uh, raw materials and the folks that finance um, uh, the production of those raw materials and mm-hmm. the folks that um, uh, invest or, or hold equities uh, in relation to those um, raw materials. So um, that's the information that, that that we're talking about. So how does exchange then capture this information and turn it into something that you could trade or that you could commoditize into something separate from the commodity itself? So um, we create a digital representation with its own identity mm-hmm. um, uh, of the underlying asset. And then we also create um, uh, the attributes associated with that asset that are cryptographically linked to that underlying asset. They can be, uh, and then uh, associated with those, we create products and contracts in relation to those that trade in our marketplace mm-hmm. um, the same way um, any um, uh, commodity would would trade, but the um, the information is what underlies the contract, mm-hmm. uh, and that 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 digital asset is what is uh, is being transferred because the information becomes the asset. Okay, so then the attributes are the attributes what make up digital feedstock because this is a new this is new terminology for me and I imagine for many listeners. Can you explain the relationship between attributes, the digital asset, the digital feedstock? How does that how does all that terminology work in the exchange landscape? So, digital feedstock is effectively um, uh, a it is a both. It's a registered asset, mm-hmm. right? So it's both a registry and an asset. And, and the um, the um, data mm-hmm. um, can be captured um, uh, in association with that that underlying asset. So once you have that digital representation of the underlying asset, there's no limit um, to the amount of information you can attach to that underlying asset, and then. Additionally, digital feedstock allows you to augment that mm-hmm. asset. Say, for example, if you move from one uh, upstream point of production, let's say at a well pad or um, let's say a landfill in the case of renewable mm-hmm. um, NAC gas, and you move down to a processing plant, um, we can augment uh, digital feedstock as that uh, data comes becomes available downstream all the way through the point of refinement and into other products. So I can certainly understand the appeal of having a market where you can just trade back and forth all kinds of information. I mean, that's very that's a very exciting proposition. What benefit does a commodity producer or a company get in exchange for this? So I think the the, um, the biggest so an example if we took um, if we stay on the natural gas um, sort of um, value chain. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, a consumer, let's say in Japan uh, of LNG, Mm -hmm. um, is interested in um, what happens upstream, um, you know, 
maybe in um, uh, the Marcellus, mm-hmm. right? That th- that information is interesting all the way to TEPCO, mm-hmm. um, and that is therefore interesting to the um, uh, LNG producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, if a producer in the Marcellus has uh, information um, that is interesting to their uh, downstream constituents mm-hmm. in the form of uh, the LNG producer and the ultimate buyer, um, that has value to the producer. Mm-hmm. So the information is interesting to multiple stakeholders, how is it verified in the exchange universe? So uh, we work with um, certification bodies Mm -hmm. um, that uh, verify um, specific attributes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, And our early products are very simple binary. Um, Our next generation products are, uh, can, will be contextualized, Mm -hmm. um, uh, by very advanced provenance secondary data sources that mm-hmm. are correlated using um, um, uh, massive amounts of uh, data mm-hmm. um, uh, that is um, uh, also uh, correlated um, to to create veracity. Okay. So um, the next generation of this is really an almost unlimited data set associated mm-hmm. with the with the underlying asset. Okay, so when you talk about like a binary certification, it would be something either has an attribute or doesn't have. Is that right? Yeah, very simple. You are either uh, meeting this certification level or you are not. Okay, and then in the next generation, you get n- more nuances. Like Exactly, which the market, the market can then um, decide out of a very large data set what, the, the market values most, mm-hmm. and then we can productize around that. So can you talk about the nearest-term industry test case for this? Is there an industry in particular that you think is ripe for intelligent commodities or who want this kind of information more than anyone else or faster than anyone else? Well, so we, we see it in, in the natural gas sector, mm-hmm. really um, with the driver being um, methane. Okay. Um, and so if, if you were to Google um, methane uh, and uh, natural gas markets, you would probably see um, uh, you know, hundreds of, of articles come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the folks that are interested in um, that information are the folks downstream uh-huh. um, uh, on the, in the gas uh, supply chain. So we think that that's very ripe, and we see that uh, there have been numerous RFPs um, and rate cases filed um, to start uh, differentiating gas. It's very similar to what we saw in renewable energy Mm -hmm. um, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, where um, uh, the industry started to differentiate between types of energy um, Mm -hmm. and um, started... Uh, organizing around that, and then that ultimately became a whole asset class in renewable energy. So when I think about when I think about industries that are resource intensive and and which are maybe in the hot seat globally, facing a lot of headline risk for their environmental uh, impact, I think airlines 
I think that's a that's an industry Perfect. that's not only very they're very sensitive to energy prices. They're also very sensitive to headlines about what they the way they pollute. So how would how would an airline make use of exchanges technology? And if they embrace it, what what's what's next? So we so we're kind of meeting the market where it's at. Uh-huh. So um, we created a, a, a marketplace, and our early products um, are. Uh, renewable energy, carbon, and water, and mm-hmm. now we're introducing um, sort of um, uh, more advanced uh, uh, products mm-hmm. like uh, differentiated nat gas. Um, so the airlines are um, are working on a global framework mm-hmm. around carbon, um, which involves uh, carbon uh, uh, emission reductions. Mm-hmm. So those already transact in our marketplace. Um, and we already work with a number of airlines. Mm-hmm. But in order for airlines to meet their uh, targets, they are going to have to incorporate uh, sustainable aviation fuels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so we see the the same data uh, uh, architecture for intelligent commodities, that we use in natural gas is directly applicable mm-hmm. to sustainable aviation fuels. So in order for the industry to move forward, it needs to be able to price and transact mm-hmm. the information around the fuels that go into planes. And mm-hmm. so um, we're actually working directly with um, some of the major players. Uh, and, and I think we have a couple of announcements pending mm-hmm. um, uh, in the aviation industry uh, mm-hmm. around that very uh, idea where you're moving from emission reductions as a near-term um, uh, a step uh-huh. with a long-term goal of you know transitioning to sustainable aviation fuels and and then transacting uh, those fuels uh, and and providing the information to the downstream um, uh, in the case of the airlines, but uh-huh. also the airlines um, uh, customers. Okay, so then, just on a purely practical level, then, are, would an airline be buying sustainable fuel or hedging their fuel consumption by buying other countries? How how, do, how exactly does that transaction work for someone who's not well versed in in, in aviation uh, fuel economics? Well, so um, I think it's a market that's being defined um, as 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 we go. But mm-hmm. if we think about um, uh, the the fuels that go into planes, ultimately the, the fuels meet a spec mm-hmm. um, that uh, is worthy of, um, you know, folks trusting that um, that fuel will um, keep them in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does not that does not include the mm-hmm. the carbon intensity of the fuel mm-hmm. um, uh, or any of the information associated with that. So ultimately you will have to be able to deliver that information into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, how the market ends up consuming that, um, uh, I can't say for certain, but I certainly could see a model where you have, uh, you know, uh, jet futures and a benchmark mm-hmm. uh, and then variations off that in relation to the carbon intensity of the fuel. So that would be an example. Um, if you think about some of the way some of the, uh, derivative markets work today. You have, sure. you know, in that gas, you have a benchmark, and then you have basis contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, the basis contracts start to relate to um, instead of location in the, in that gas, they relate mm-hmm. to information about the fuels. 
So are you? So that would be an example. So are you presently focusing on all commodities or just oil and gas in in the first go round? I mean, do you see your total your total addressable market as something much broader, or what? So if we look at the so we kind of we divide the world into energy and ag, mm-hmm. and in energy we already um, we already um, operate in the renewable energy space and the carbon space, mm-hmm. um, which are sort of energy-related products. Um, we see natural gas and, as you pointed out, uh, sustainable aviation fuels um, as sort of the next generation um, in, in, in that line. Um, but the value chain architecture for commodities, whether it's from a, from a data perspective, whether it's um, – uh, fuels and energy um, or agriculture looks very similar from a data architecture mm-hmm. uh, standpoint. And so um, on the agriculture side, um, we actually have water, um, the world's largest water market mm-hmm. um, uh, on our platform. And so we see water as being a major driver in the ag sector and in a resource constrained world. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we think of, of ag is is water drives ag on a, on a go forward. So we would see um, carbon as driving fuels and uh, electricity mm-hmm. and water driving ag pricing on a go forward, neither of which are are priced into conventional market mechanisms today. So you're focused clearly on bringing transparency to this market, but what about depth and liquidity? Are, are you at all, is it, is it a priority for you to get people to actively trade in a, in a price discovery process similar to what we see in other commodity markets? Is that a priority for you at all in this, in this iteration? Absolutely. So, yeah. So if you think about what we're doing today, we do that for, um, uh, in a spot market for mm-hmm. renewable energy and, and carbon. Mm-hmm. And so in order for any of the derivative products to evolve in sort of a resource-constrained world, you have to have a spot price sp- signal uh-huh. um, to start. So that's where we're focused is source data to spot market, which then feeds um, the, the derivative space on a go-forward. So um, if we... if Going forward, one believes that resource constraints are going to be priced into global markets. The pathway to pricing is from source data to contextualization to spot pricing to derivatives. Ah, so just to clarify, then, is this this is not a market for physical delivery in the sense that buyers would get a barrel of, verif- of verified, sustainably sourced oil delivered on their front lawn? Is that right? <laughs> this is just there's not to, physical today delivery. Today, it's not okay. Today it's not. Um, it's a um, it's a physical transaction that's mm-hmm. done digitally. So um, it's um, renewable energy, for example, that transacts on our platform today is a physical transaction, but mm-hmm. it's a digital representation uh, of an attribute. So right, it's a renewable attribute of a of a megawatt. Ah. So that uh, is is a physical transaction that's really digital, right, and then settled. Um, which then creates a price signal that you can then build build on, for example. So, um, but as the data set grows, mm-hmm. it's inevitable that you start to be able to 
uh, allow for more and more um, uh, or sort of more alignment between the digital reality or the uh, digital representation and the physical reality. So is your firm then regulated as a commodity exchange? I mean, do you face any kind of regulatory headwinds in the markets where you operate? So we the, we specifically um, uh, focused on spot commodities because mm-hmm. they they don't have the same regulatory requirements as um, you know sort of the futures uh, exchanges and things like that. Um, we partner with those uh, exchanges um, um, because you know to make sure that we're we're compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we've kind of gone overboard um, on our. Um, on our sort of compliance, um, never in a bad our thing. spot market. <laughs> never a bad thing to go over right. compliance, right? <laughs> but, but, but we've intentionally, uh, we've intentionally structured, um, the business to stay well within all of the regulatory, um, constraints that exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when we look at some of the things that's happened in the, um, in the space around, you know, um, you know, digital currencies and and all kinds of other things. Technology can quickly step or move past regulatory um, um, sort of definitions. Sure. And I think we've we've designed everything within the within the platform to um, meet regulatory compliance. And wherever uh, wherever we're um, you know wherever things move into another sort of um, regulatory regime, mm-hmm. we then partner with folks ha- that have the, um, you know, have uh, are, are compliant in that in that space. So your technology is based on distributed ledger technology. And further to, to your comment that in we're living in an age where technological developments are maybe moving a little faster than regulatory mechanisms can keep up. I wonder if there's a market structure development that you would want to see succeed or some or some critical mass of adoption in financial markets in order for intelligent commodities to gain more widespread adoption, to really break through in a big way in the market. Yeah, so I think the way I think about this is there was all kinds of Hype around blockchain and, and distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. A lot of you know it wasn't dissimilar in the, you know if we think about mobile phones um, and and you know twenty years ago people would say call me on my mobile yeah right? <laughs> and mobile was a big thing um, uh, and then that just sort of faded mm-hmm. and there is no more mobile versus non mobile. Um, and I think of distributed ledger as the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got applications. I think the early hype associated uh, with it um, was folks really trying to map the technology or uh, the technology outward instead of the, the problem inward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I think you've, this, you're reaching a sort of next generation where nobody's really talking about distributed ledger or blockchain. Mm-hmm. They're just solving problems um, with it. Um, and no one really knows um, what is, um, or not necessarily, um, what technology is underpinning that, but they're, mm-hmm. they're applying the, the benefits of the technology to meet you know, very real-world problems as opposed to um, making up problems um, for a technology. 
So are you seeing global interest for this technology? Is your customer base predominantly North American? I, I can imagine it is exactly up Europe's alley. Uh, imagine it's very popular in Canada. Where is it? Where do you? Uh, where are you seeing the keenest level of interest? I mean, it's an exciting technology, but you know, people feel differently in, in different parts of the world. Yeah. So I think ESG is a global phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think we think uh, quite a bit in. Um, you know, where either, you know, political will or, um, or, you know, regulation is, is taking, I think that's kind of, um, the way folks have thought about, um, ESG in the past. I think ESG is now a financial driver and one mm-hmm. of the, on a go forward, maybe one of the most important ones. And that requires information and provenance data. So I don't see it as regional. I see it as, um, uh, a necessary um, step for markets because, for example, the the um, the example I used earlier in LNG mm-hmm. that's a global transaction um, yeah. between two different um, uh, uh, two different um, you know jurisdictions um, that that has implications. So I you know the information is is critical to enabling those global markets on a go-forward because the materials are moving across multiple jurisdictions. Ah. So can you... Each of which represent risk in a financial sense. Can you talk at all about your early stage investors? I know that Reflective Ventures, which is a blockchain application VC firm, has been active. BP Ventures, obviously the venture capital arm of an oil major. What's it been like working with them? So I think when we think about um, the folks... And we have uh, S&P Global Platts. We have Vista, which is a um, uh, a utility. Um, so BP's um, focus is digitization and decarbonization. Um, you know, um, uh, Vista is uh, has a long track record of being uh, innovative. Uh, S&P Global, uh, you know, uh, and Platts hold a lot of the benchmarks and and um, provide a lot of the market data. Or global markets. So um, we intentionally created a somewhat of an ecosystem that included producers, and in the case of BP, producers and traders, uh, as well as uh, market data and um, and then downstream, so that we could start to build um, all of those perspectives into our platform. So just five years out, if you can look uh, into the future, what role do you see digital feedstock playing in the commodity marketplace? So I see it as a as a seminal um, uh, bit of information for mm-hmm. for markets to organize around. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, in order for um, if we think about some of the things that happened in in music, um, um, what changed the the music industry was a new way to um, uh, deliver information mm-hmm. and content. Right. So the MP3 file. Um, fundamentally transformed um, music mm-hmm. um, and the way that we consume music and the entire business model around music. So I think, I think of it in that way, uh-huh. um, you know, information empowers different actors in, in the value chain. Um, and, um, you know, if we think about the music example, you had a situation where all of a sudden you could combine the primary content with metadata mm-hmm. about that primary content. So the song could be com- 
combined with the artist and the beats per minute and the emotive attributes and the genre and all of that, and then be um, really uh, adapted and delivered to the downstream um, consumer, right. you or I. That changed the way that the music industry worked. And obviously, commodities are not the same as music, mm-hmm. um, and, but the same principles apply there where um, the information uh, changes the way that the business model or the technology changes the way that the business model can work um, mm-hmm. based on information that can be provided to the downstream. So the same way that Spotify matters to me, the user, um, uh, that information matters in the commodity value chain as well. So in five years, maybe market uh, professionals will click into their, their business news outlet of choice in the pre-market and maybe see the little ticker with uh, methane attributes. <laughs> like, what is the, what's the methane contract trading at this morning? Do you see, it, do you see something like that? I think that, yes, absolutely. Right. So we see that. Absolutely. We think there's a a whole um, um, universe of new informational products that will evolve um, um, because that's what the market demands. Resource constraints are um, the scarcity is now the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not was not the case when those markets were designed. Right. So that's now uh, a factor and markets will price that in. So then uh, I have one final question, and that's what does the price of oil mean to the viability of your business model? Or even like the, a bull or bear market in any commodity for that matter? So we're, you know, at the end of the day, we're a marketplace and marketplaces um, are price agnostic. So we're mm-hmm. price neutral. And if a market moves, that means that things trade. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, so you're looking for price movement rather than a, a specific price level. Right. And we're, we're looking for, for products that matter, right, and, and that um, uh, matter to both the upstream and downstream. Uh, and then and markets will do what markets will do. But I, we're, we're, um, you know, we're a neutral party and we're just providing mm-hmm. the information and the products and then the market will decide what that's worth. Exactly. So the future of the futures market may be information. Joe Madden, thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. Check us out online for more stories at investableuniverse.com or follow us on Twitter at InvestableU. I'm Rebecca Darst for Investable Universe. See you next time.